Mozi! another episode of metal rock and whiskey i'm sailor and in the words of the great lemmy kilmeister born to lose live to win hey guys what's up hey what's up sailor ed where's jake what the hell, you guys? Jake is still away. Where is he? Oh, I don't know, but we miss Jake, that's for sure. I'm kind of getting sick of this shit. Guys, I don't know if I can do this. <sighs> Matt, Jacob, I need, I need we gotta Jake. keep it together. Do it for the show. Do it for Jake. Alright, do it for um, Jake, okay. man. Do it for Who's Jake. Gonna dr- <laughs> Who's gonna drink his share tonight? Because we might have to split it up between the three of us, because I don't know if I can handle it myself. Matt. No, he kind of drinks a lot. Are you up for it? No volunteers. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, it's on you. <laughs> okay, go I grab have a bottle. Two of- bottles open. I have two bottles of open whiskey here. I'm. Oh, bat- there you go. One, but yeah, is it you, one four roses or a not, store pick? N- neither are four roses. Neither are store picks. Well, but I'll make do. Damn it! All right. <laughs> All right. Done. All right, and guys. So what the hell? Yeah, what are we doing? All right, so new listeners and returning listeners. Uh, we typically compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, and very professionally debate the merits. And in the end, only one album or artist reigns supreme. Mm-hmm. But that is not happening tonight. We are breaking our streak. Mm-hmm. We are breaking our streak of doing typical episodes here. Totally. Uh, we, we did consider battling Motorhead albums, and we may circle back and do it sometime in the future. But tonight we will be discussing the long and interest, interesting career of the one of one of the rock and roll, <laughs> one of rock and roll's legendary bands. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Well, with the lengthy career that Motorhead has had, um, let's get into this discussion right away. But uh, first, <clears throat> I've been tasked with the whiskey pairing for the night. And before I get into my pairing, and I'm actually drinking my pairing tonight, um, what are the two of you drinking? Well... Like I said before, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between two bottles. I started with Old Forester 100 Proof, mm, uh, which yum. is the first time I'm having this, and I gotta say, unbelievably delicious. It's badass, right? It's badass. Oh it is like God. a liquid. Thank it you. is like a liquid candy. It is so yes, good. Yes, to all the haters, f yes. it, f you. Yeah. So good. 
Oh. Insert my puke emoji here. What? Edward. <laughs> You're I figured nuts. for I figured for something over 80 proof this would be right up your alley, man. Yes, there's no yeah. there's no toothpaste in this at all. No, I got something completely different. What'd you I get? got like I was eating the pith the white pith of an orange. It was so bitter and so really? off-putting. Mm. It was horrible. How many times did you try drinking it? I went through the bottle. Oh shit! And they did it the whole time. Yeah. You have a you have a weird palate, man. I know I do. You really do. You're challenging. You know what? You should be a scotch drinker. Mm-mm. Maybe I don't. I'm know. I'm serious. Think we've had a I think you should be a scotch drinker. There's too many bourbons that I love too much. To be Doesn't a mean you can't drinker. also love scotch. Hello, I went <laughs> well, to the dark side. Okay. Yeah, oh wait. There you go. <laughs> no wait, man. I have two bottles. I'm drinking. So the other bottle. Oh, okay, for Jake. So the other one I flipped to is Wild Turkey Rye. Just oh, yeah, $22 for rye, and it's Wild Turkey. And the reason why I picked it really is because I was trying to find it. Oh, you love Matthew McConaughey, like just admit it. <laughs> no way. You're super into him. No. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Nah. Town branch, um, all right, all right. No, because I was trying to find the equivalent of Lemmy in a whiskey, and I thought Jimmy Russell, man. Guy's been around forever. Old school, no bullshit. Thought it was a good pairing. I like it. I like it a lot. Sounds I mean, good to me. at this point, not at this point, but really, what does Wild Turkey put out that isn't so stellar for the price point and the availability? Every time. They, they just hit it out of the park, in my opinion. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan. Me big too. Fan. Well, I'm <laughs> <laughs> drinking scotch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yesterday, I was drinking my beautiful um, Wild Turkey Master's Keep. Phenomenal bottle. It is. Um, it has wonderful memories along with it from my favorite uncle's wedding. Uh, we shared that bottle together, and uh, so I was sipping on that yesterday. Um, today, I'm drinking the Balvenie mm. Doublewood. It's been aged 12 years, and uh, it's aged in whiskey cask, traditional whiskey cask, and then finished in sherry casks, and oh my god. Um, I wish I was personal friends with David Stewart, me and like 80 million other people around the world, just to like get inside this guy's head. He's just, I just, God, he's phenomenal. This is just such a stellar, it's such a great, I think all of the Balveni is so fantastic for people that are new to scotch. I think it's so approachable, but has so many layers to it and so much flavor. Um, I just love it. Excellent choice. I'm a fan. And that's Alrighty. me. Sounds good. Well... <clears throat> As Go for, me, for it, Ed. All right. It's almost impossible to discuss the band Motorhead um, without also discussing their frontman, Ian Fraser Lemmy Kilmeister. Now, he's well known for his love of gambling and seemingly insatiable appetite for women, claiming to have <laughs> slept with over 1,000 of them. I don't know how. He's not that good looking. At least I don't think he is. But anyway, he's a rock and roll star, I guess. So there you go. So... My whiskey selection basically embodies the spirit and the vices of Lemmy. 
He even had a permanent seat reserved for him at the Rainbow Bar and Grill in Hollywood with its own video gambling machine. Now, my selection of whiskey comes from Sin, Sin City Spirits. And according to the quoting from the Sin City Spirits, <laughs> gosh, there's a tongue twister, website, <laughs> uh, 24 hours of drinking whiskey, gambling, and sex could be found nowhere else in the USA. This put Las Vegas on the map as the nation's only Sin City. Hmm. So, <clears throat> I picked up this bottle of Sin City whiskey while in Las Vegas last year in a gift shop on Fremont Street, situated amongst many casinos. And according to the bottle, this whiskey is imported and bottled for Sin City Spirits, LLC, Las Vegas, Nevada, by Indio Spirits, Portland, Oregon. It also goes on to say that this whiskey is distilled in Canada, which, as we all know, is a former British colony, tying it in again to Motorhead, a British metal band. Now, this whiskey comes in at 80 proof, and the label of this, label of this bottle is adorned with a scantily clad six-shooter toting cowgirl. Hell and on the yeah. back is a pair of dice showing the total oh, of awesome. seven. The color in yeah, the color in this whiskey is um, very light amber, um, leading to me to believe that this is not, you know, very old. And when swirled in the glass, the legs are very thin and um, kind of barely perceptible. But um, anyway, on the nose, I get a distinct alcohol note, almost like rubbing alcohol. Um, but I also pick up um, some brown sugar. Uh, fresh cut grass and what I can only describe as like wet cardboard. <laughs> Yum! <laughs> um, after tasting it, yeah, it's clearly a Canadian whiskey. Dude. Um, Boom! Oh my Mike god! Mike We love at, you, Canada. Well, <laughs> that's it. Let Y'all, me explain. You just said it there. <laughs> at first, the whiskey is sweet with a maple syrup-like flavor that soon gives way to a dark rye bread and a charcoal on a medium length finish and that is it that is sin city whiskey um it's all right i mean if you're a fan of canadian whiskeys you might like this one um but if you're not you're probably gonna pass great pairing though (laughs) yeah yes it was very good very clever I mean, I would have just gone with Jack Daniels because I would have been drinking Jack and Coke. That's so obvious, though. Yeah. AKA the Lemmy. No, but. It's what he loved. And until, for health reasons, he had to stop drinking Jack and Coke and move to vodka and orange juice (laughs) (laughs) because he thought that was healthier. (laughs) This is not a joke. Uh. Oh, God. Good job, Ed. Well, that was awesome, Ed. Good Thank job. Alright, so before we get into this discussion, let's just briefly talk about our relationship to Motorhead, 
when we got into them, if if at all, if you you know came to this as a fan or not, and what your memories of being a fan are, and then we'll get into a little bit of a timeline and the discussion. Well, first of all, I just want to let you know that Jake uh, let me know he is really bummed that he's not here because he is a big fan of Motorhead, and I'm sure. As usual, Jake would have a lot to say. But. I'm sure he would. Mm-hmm. That's why I miss him. But I, on the other hand, am uh, new to Motorhead. Um, I've always I've known about them for the longest time, but until now, just researching for this uh, show, I the Ace of Spades is probably the only song I could have quoted for you. But anyway, after listening to them, I have become a fan. Awesome. Yeah, I really like it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to listening to much more here on out. How about you guys? Sailor, I know you've been a fan for a while. Oh my god, I've been a fan forever. I can remember being very small, and I may, I may be talking like five, six years old, and uh, my dad came to pick me up. Um, he was a dad that I saw a couple times a year if I was lucky. Um, and I, you know, thought he was just the coolest dude. He had, you know, he had a mustache and sometimes he had chops and he smoked and he always had a beer in his hand and he worked on cars and he listened to, to what we would call hard rock these days. And, uh, I remember we're in his little convertible MG and we're driving somewhere, and all of a sudden, the song comes on that I don't know, and he says, oh, yeah, this is great, and he turns it up. And he's, like, banging his head, and he's looking at me, and I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to be cool like him. So I was like, yeah, this is cool. It was um, a Motorhead song. I don't remember the specific song, but the reason I know it was a Motorhead song is because I asked him um, shortly after that, because when I went home, I wanted to learn more about motorhead and get into it so my dad would think i was cool and um so i did and um i got a tape i can't remember what my first tape was unfortunately um but so this is you know like this is uh early late 70s early early 80s it would be early 80s and um so i i got into the band very young and kept up with them loved motorhead um and then I saw them in concert as a teenager and in my young 20s. And then um, I was lucky enough to have met Lemmy twice in my life, actually. Um, The first time I met him was at a very large festival in Belgium. And um, I've I've talked about, I think, on the show, meeting other artists. It was all, they don't section off the big VIP artists from the small bands. At least they didn't at the time. And um, I'm sitting down on the couch and I'm talking to someone. I look over. Next to me is sitting Lemmy. He's literally sitting right next to me. I look over. I'm like, (laughs) oh, hey. And I'm expecting him to be Lemmy. And I'm a girl. So I'm just expecting him to kind of be, I don't know, maybe a dickhead or douchey or hit on me or be gross. I don't know what I was expecting, you know. Um, and instead he was, he was super nice and we end up getting this long conversation, believe it or not, about fathers and daughters. <laughs> so hmm. w- weird. <laughs> um, and he gave me some advice that I've never forgotten. And, um, 
I, to be completely and totally honest, it was, it was some pretty profound words he had about being a father and being a father that wasn't really always there. And he has experience in that himself personally. Um, and then I met him a second time. It was about mm, a year and a half, two years later, um, when I was in London and he actually remembered me and I was blown away by that. I thought, I'm just, how many people? must this man meet you know or any celebrity on his level in a week forget in a year or something and he actually remembered me we we t- we chatted again he was very funny very laid back very down to earth and he was a very clever smart man so um it just made me love motorhead you know that much more so those are my oh and That's very cool also one of my favorite movies of all time um gross point blank um, I remember being like super psyched to see this movie in the theaters, and I was just like, "Oh, I was loving this movie." And there's a scene um, where what's his head? What's his name? Help John me out Cusack. here. Thank you. I love him. Please marry me. Um, he goes into this Seven Eleven that's been built where his childhood home used to stand <laughs> in the middle of a residential neighborhood and there's a bomb in there and um he has to get everyone out and this kid is playing i can't remember what arcade game and he's got headphones on so he doesn't hear him and he's listening to ace of spades <laughs> and i was like oh fuck yeah <laughs> so good so those are my memories well, how do i follow that meeting lemmy twice damn I'll try my best, though. I'll keep it brief. The um, As with a lot of bands from this time, uh, especially the the British heavy metal scene, being such a huge Metallica fan, you know, the first time I heard anything from any band like this was Metallica covering them, uh, you know, on you know their garage albums and such. And I never really made a point to go and listen to the original stuff. Uh, until I heard them cover uh, Overkill and Damage Case, Too Late, Too Late, uh, and Stone Dead Forever. And James changed his voice slightly when he recorded these. And I was like, you know, I was I before I heard these, I had no idea who Motorhead was. I'll be honest with you. No idea who Lemmy was. No idea about who they were, or their history, anything. And I was like, it's kind of weird that they changed his voice. So I went back and I listened to the originals. And it just changed everything for me. Um, the ferocity in which they performed, mm-hmm. going through their whole catalog, uh, balls to the walls, powerful. Just everything was just in your face, and they just laid everything out on the line. And I just fell in love. Soon as I heard, soon as I heard him, I fell in love. Uh, and then hearing it, but then seeing it, are two completely different experiences. You see these three guys up there. You see him, you know, with his mic stand higher than he is, bent down, growling up into the sky. It's just like, it's yeah. almost intimidating, mm-hmm. but it's so fucking cool because nobody did that, you know? Nobody did that. No one played the bass like he did. Nobody yeah. sang like he did. Oh, God. Everything was just so unique and so just, man, I fucking love this guy. And. That was my first experience with them, and it kind of set the bar for me a little bit, and I kind of, you don't really want to try to compare, but I always end up comparing newer bands that I hear to Motorhead Metallica, just the two bands Mm -hmm. that I'm completely in love with, 
and there will never ever 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 be another band like motorhead never ever ever yep totally agree totally agree absolutely well let's get into this discussion let's talk about the amazing career of motorhead So Motorhead was formed in 1975 by bassist, singer and songwriter Ian Fraser Kilmeister, otherwise known as Lemmy, along with guitarist Larry Wallace and Lucas Fox. A month prior to forming Motorhead, Lemmy was actually dismissed from the band Hawkwind. They are considered to be one of the pioneers of the space rock genre. It would be tough to talk about Motorhead without carving out a little bit of time to talk about the man himself, Lemmy especially now that he's not with us anymore in the physical sense. So Lemmy was born in England in December of 1945. Now, just to give you a little bit of perspective on the world that he grew up in, World War II ended in September of 1945, and the area of England that he spent his early years in was hit very hard by Nazi bombing. Some food like bread was still rationed up until 1948, and much of the 1950s in Great Britain were about processing the horrors and rebuilding and much, much social change. He spent most of his childhood in Wales, where he was given the nickname by his schoolmates, Lemmy, as in Lemmy a quid till Friday. Lemmy. Get it? Get it. Yep. Yep. So, of course, the quid was to gamble, by the way. So it seems that one day Lemmy came to school and saw another student with a guitar, and this kid was instantly surrounded by girls. So Lemmy decided, I'm going to bring a guitar to school, grabbed his mother gu- mother's guitar, next day brought it to school, and bingo, he was surrounded by girls too. <laughs> and he said later in an interview, I play rock and roll because the chicks dig it. You'd be surprised how many girls you get if you can play music, and if you can play it well, even more so. <laughs> So in his late teens, he learned to play that damn guitar and joined some local bands. Some of the bands did quite well, some not so much. And then he moved to London and shared a flat with the bassist for Jimi Hendrix and got a job as a roadie for Hendrix. And when asked about what Jimi Hendrix was like, he said, blasted out of his brains. (laughs) (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) I guess he was kissing this guy all the time. Ba-da-bing. So, unfortunately, in 1975, Lemmy was kicked out of Hawkwin after a drug possession charge, and that was the end of that. So, back to Motorhead. As I said, formed in 1975, Lemmy's vision for Motorhead was for it to be, quote, the fast and vi- the fastest and most vicious, just like the MC5. The MC5 were an American proto-punk band formed in the early 60s. Further, he wanted it to be loud, fast, speed-freak rock and roll. That's a quote. After just 10 gigs, the band caught a gig supporting Blue Oyster Cult in London. And shortly after that, they received a contract with United Artists. They jumped in the studio to record and pretty quickly had to replace their drummer. But lucky for them, they chose Phil Filthy Animal Taylor, who was a friend of Lemmy at the time. The label was not happy with the material that was recorded and they refused to release it. A year later, they decided they needed to add an additional guitarist to really achieve the sound they were looking for. So they auditioned 
the one and only Fast Eddie Clark Wallace, who was a member of the Pink Fairies. For those of you who don't know, I'm sure there are not many that know, the Pink Fairies were a British psychedelic rock band, and Eddie was hired by Motorhead and quit the Fairies. You now have what is considered the classic Motorhead lineup, which is Lemmy, uh, Fast Eddie, and the Filthy, Filthy Animal. Initial reaction, yes, initial reactions to the mm-hmm. band were not good at all. They were, <laughs> to say the least, they were <laughs> even voted as best worst band in the world by a music magazine. Best worst, yes, <laughs> best worst <laughs> by a music so magazine bad. at the time. <clears throat> Finally, <laughs> yeah. Like, is that a double diss, or is that just a diss? Just a diss. (laughs) (laughs) However way you look at it, it's a diss. However way you diss it. So finally, in 1977, (laughs) Taylor and Clark decided to leave the band. They had really gained little recognition and were living literally as squatters. Lemmy got them to agree to a farewell show, and he invited Ted Carroll from Chiswick Records and asked him to bring Mobile Studio to record the show for posterity. In the end, Carol was not able to bring the mobile studio, so instead he offered them two days in studio with producer Speedy Keen to record a single. King wrote a song. Uh, Keen, if you don't know, wrote a song for the Who and was a well-known session artist and producer. The band took a chance, and instead of a single, they recorded eleven unfinished tracks. Carol gave them a few more days to finish the vocals, and in the end, they had actually completed thirteen tracks. Chiswick Records issued the single Motorhead in June of 1977, followed by the album Motorhead in August. The album actually charted and spent a week at number 43. Not too shabby at all. Not too shabby. Considering. No. Yeah. Especially after a ballsy move like that. Yeah, Yeah, really. After being the best worst band. They embarked on a tour uh, that was actually fraught with difficulties and a breakup again. But by summer of 78, the band reformed and began their rise to success. Back into the studio they went, and out came Overkill on March 24th. This became the band's first album to break the top 40 in the UK. They completed a successful UK tour, uh, also called Overkill. That summer, they went back into the studio to begin work on their next album, Bomber. This album reached number 12 on the UK charts with with Bomber, uh, the title track being the single. This tour called Bomber extended out of the... Bomber, 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 bomber. Extended bomber, out of the bomber, UK. Bomber. <laughs> Can you say extended that a few more out times? of the UK to Europe with the band <laughs> Saxon supporting them. In spring of 1980, while on tour in Europe, the first live album for Motorhead was released called The Golden Years, which sold better than any of their previous releases. It reached number eight on the UK charts. After the completion of this European tour, they went back into the studio and recorded. Ace of Spades. The single was released yeah, in October of oh, 1980 yeah. as a preview mm-hmm. of the album with the same title. The single reached number 15 and the album reached number 4 on the UK album charts. Ace of Spades is considered to be the ultimate Motorhead anthem, and I would agree with that. Yep. In 1981, yeah. the band had even more chart hits with the release of St. Valentine's Day Massacre EP, a collaboration with the band Girl School. Girl School? Girl school, girl, why can't I say that? Girl school, girl school <laughs> is a British rock band that girl formed school? a new wave of hard rock and heavy metal in the late 70s. And they are the longest running all female band <clears throat> still playing after 40 years. 
And they, they kick do. mofo ass, by the way. If you don't know them, listen to them. They are so badass. I did see a video of them. They actually videoed them performing together mm-hmm. with Motorhead. Yep. yep. And it's, it's worth a look for sure. So <clears throat> more success for Motorhead comes from unreleased tracks and live singles. Then in 1981, the band finally toured North America for the first time. The Ace of Spades was their debut album in the U.S. and Canada. They toured with the Blizzard of Oz, as you may recall. This was before Ozzy Osbourne's band was called Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and Fuck following you, the Sharon. North American tour, <laughs> <laughs> following this North American tour, which I assume was successful, uh, the band went back on the road in Europe, and then in '82 back into the studio and recorded Iron Fist, which was released in April and peaked at number six on the UK charts. Not too shabby as well. No, this album would also bring them their first headlining tour in the US. After Iron Fist, Clark left the band. Apparently, he was not into the band um, covering the song Stand By Your Man. Uh, you know, the Tammy Wynette classic. Weird. They seriously did that? Yeah, but um, wait. It's so cool how they did it. Have you heard it? It's so... No. Um, it's amazing, actually. Please go listen to it afterwards and any of the listeners out there. It's so badass. All right. So apparently it was performed by uh, Wendy O. Williams from the Plasmatics, which was a New York punk band in the 70s and 80s. Um, Clark said he felt the song compromised the band's principles. How the fuck would? (laughs) I don't understand that. (laughs) As if Motorhead has a lot of principles. Oh, well, that too. Yeah. After a fierce search, the band got Brian Robertson, formerly of Thin Lizzy, heck yeah, to complete a tour with them, and then signed on a a one-album deal, which turned out to be Another Perfect Day, released in June of 83. Now, if you're not keeping up, this is Motorhead's sixth studio album. And the band toured Asia and Europe, and then the friction with Robertson became a real issue. Um, It seemed the other members of the band didn't like that he would wear shorts and ballet (laughs) shoes on stage. Go figure. And he refused to play Motorhead's old standards. There's a good way to piss off your new band. Um, Robertson agreed to leave amicably, and a giant worldwide search for a replacement began. Um, Some interesting characters came into play, but in the end, the band settled on former Saxon drummer Pete Gill. Next came a compilation album of material from their years with Bronze Records and four newly recorded tracks, titled No Remorse, in September of 84. The band then entered in a lengthy court case battle with Bronze, stating that they felt their releases were not being promoted properly. The label banned them from the recording studio, so they hit the road again. They toured all over the world, and then finally, in 86, the court case with the label Bronze was settled. Motorhead's management created their own label, GWR Records, and released Orgasmatron in August of 86. Hell yeah, I love that album. 
So next comes Rock and Roll, the eighth studio album by Motorhead released in 1987. This would be, sadly, their worst performing album of all of their charting albums at the time. In July of 88, Motorhead performed at the Giants of Rock Festival in Finland. A live album was recorded. The tracks were released as No Sleep at All. The single that was planned to be released first should have been Traitor, but instead, Ace of Spades was chosen without the band's agreement, so they refused distribution of this album. After that, they continued to tour and play live shows between 89 and 90, but once again felt unhappy with the band's trajectory. Another court case and a label change, and then more lineup changes ensued. In 1990, Lemmy moved from England to the U.S., settling just blocks away from his favorite bar, The Rainbow. In February of 91, Motorhead released 1916. This was their first studio album in nearly four years. This album contains song that's a lot of songs that seem to be a departure for the band, like the tracks Love Me Forever and Angel City, which I happen to love, by the way. This album was nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance in 1992 and received positive reviews from critics. In August of 92, March or Die was released, Motorhead's 10th studio album. This album comes with critical on top of the critical success of 1916. The personnel roster on this album has had many changes, with some guest musicians stepping in as previous people stepped out during the recording, yes. Um, and uh, you get guests like Ozzy Osbourne, Slash, and Tommy Aldridge. The mid-90s had the band touring heavily and then completing the album Overnight Sensation, their 13th studio album. On this, you had Lemmy, Phil Campbell, and on guitar, Mickey D on drums. So now Motorhead is really established as Motorhead. They've secured commercial success, and Lemmy is, I think it's safe to say, totally famous at this point. In 2005, Motorhead finally received their first Grammy for Best Metal Performance, but it was for their cover of Metallica's Whiplash. <laughs> Lemmy was none too pleased. He stated many times, and I quote, it was only a mercy fuck. It was our 30th anniversary. If they gave us a Grammy for one of our albums or songs, it would mean something. Yeah, fuck you, Grammy, whoever the fuck people decided things. I don't know. So in their long career, Motorhead completed 23 studio albums and 13 live albums. There are several that I didn't mention, like Snakebite Love, We Are Motorhead, Hammered, Inferno, Kiss of Death, Motorizer, The World Is Yours, Aftershock, and finally Bad Magic, their final studio album before Lemmy's death in 2015. He died of complications from prostate cancer, cardiac arrhythmia, and congestive heart failure. He had just turned 70. So I didn't mention those albums because I didn't want this timeline to last 50,000 hours i wanted us to have time to discuss but um you know two of those albums are also some of my favorite motorhead albums but they had an incredible career um at an incredible time in music and uh it's just so much fun going back and like watching all these interviews and you know listening to all their top singles again it was really fun preparing for this episode yeah and also learning about their career so many um so many great stories and um all the other artists you mentioned like ozzy osbourne slash i don't think that there there aren't too many other figures in metal in rock history that are as well respected as lemmy 
for Motorhead. That's the biggest thing I got was the amount of respect that this guy had from his fellow musicians was almost unparalleled. There's not one Absolutely. person, whether if they're just a regular person like you, Sailor, who met him and or someone in his industry who was influenced by him or maybe even not influenced by him. Nobody would have a bad word to say about the man. That's how incredible of a human being he was, aside from the talent and the music. And, um, you know, he was larger than life. He had that, you know, rock star persona, that, you know, exaggerated rock star persona that everyone, you know, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. Um, but that was his lifestyle. And he was the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. And despite all that, despite, uh, living that larger than life lifestyle that, you know, most of us common folk can't really equate to, uh, he was so down to earth and I don't think there's anybody else. I don't think there's anybody that would not say that about mm-hmm. him. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's really important to talk about too, um, <laughs> that I tried to tackle for a while and was not successful, um, how he played bass. This is, in my opinion, the reason why Motorhead sounds like Motorhead, the reason why they um, became who they, who they are and why we're talking about them right now. Um, so it was interesting because Lemmy was a guitar player and signed up with Hawkwind and all of a sudden he's on stage. He never played bass before and he has to play bass and he plays it like a guitar. Um, I just find that to be really interesting. You know, um, the way he tuned his bass, the way we talked about the way, you know, vocals as well, like the way he sang, the way he growled. Um, you know, he approached his musicianship in such a unique way. And I think that in addition to him being such a personality, that's a huge reason why the band became, absolutely became who they became. Well, he came to music on his own terms. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't trying to be somebody else. He was just, here I am. This is what I'm going to do. You don't like it. Go fuck yourself. I did it my way. It was his mantra. Yeah. Exactly. And that that was. And that's how he lived his life. That's how he pursued his music. That's how he pursued business. Um, you know, like, you know, it was interesting. I was watching, I don't I don't think it might have been for Guitar World many years ago, an interview. And they're like, why did you tr- choose to use distortion on your bass? And he's like, because <laughs> I did. <laughs> they're yeah. like trying to get into the science of it a little, like geek out on it a little bit. And he wasn't, he's, yeah, he's not really, he wasn't really a geeker ever. Or even if people try to geek out with him, he's like, I was a guitar player first, man. I don't fucking know. I just, I can't do Lemmy, but, um, you know, I just, I just did it that way. Um, you know, the double stops, all of that. It, it, mm-hmm. It's, he, he just, yeah, it became, that became his sound, the Lemmy sound. And I've heard a lot of musicians and a lot of, um, bands try to replicate that sound. And, um, you know, I, he definitely influenced a hell of a lot of bands. Um, with, with their sound, of course, but God, it's just, he was a unique person. And, um, I think his personality was definitely the, um, 
the 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 forceful factor in, oh, yeah. and in God, everything that that band never changed. That I mean, band did. He never changed. The band never changed. It doesn't matter who they had in the band. You know, their sound really, really never wavered yeah. from album to album. They did a thing or two here and there, but I mean, God, I mean, twenty what is twenty two studio albums, and it's just fucking Motorhead. Like I don't even know what else to say. You know. They just never really changed their sound, which is incredible after all that time. They never, you know, we've talked about bands on this show that had periods of time where they completely changed their sound. And, you know, Motorhead was always Motorhead. And that's what one of the things probably that I love about them, because I think I really like that about bands, obviously. I think that's a thread as we go through this this podcast, um, you know, when I love the sound of a band, I want them to just keep sounding like mm-hmm. that. They can still evolve mm-hmm. and change, but I love, that's the sound I fell in love with. Please don't, you know, 10 albums down the road, if I compare album 10 to album one, I'm like, these are two different bands. I don't like that. Personally, it's my, it's taste is subjective, totally get it. But that's definitely a, a big force behind um, how much I love Motorhead as a band, for sure. So let's talk about either our favorite songs or our favorite albums. I mean, obviously, one of my favorite albums is Ace of Spades. And I'm not going to pretend like it's not just because it's their most popular album, because it's their most fucking popular album, obviously, because it's fucking amazing. There's got to um, be a reason for that. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. It's just, to me, this is the... It, it, this... Like, like, you know, like many uh, music writers have said, you know, the song, the album, this is their anthem, certainly. Um, I, I just think this album encompasses this. And, and one thing that I should I want to mention that's really important to talk about is Lemmy never liked for Motorhead to be called heavy metal, by the way, at all. He did not really? like it. No, he said, we are a rock band. We play rock and roll. That's it. The end. And he was right. Of course he was right. Um, I don't think they're metal either. Um, you know, I would call them speed rock maybe, um, but I wouldn't call them metal. So I, I agree with that. Um, so Ace of Spades, if you go, if you go back kind of in their timeline of recording out al- or releasing albums rather, you know, it's their only their fourth studio album. And let's, let's consider their first studio. Let's just take their first studio album and just put it aside. So let's say this is really just their third studio album. This is a hell of an album for a young band like that to come out with. To me, this album sounds so mature um, and so put together. It's uh, it's just mind blowing. Um, the recording of this album is really interesting as well. Um, so it's I don't know if you guys have ever read the liner notes like back when. <laughs> <laughs> back when liner notes were a thing um what they were trying to achieve on this album was a live um, a live sound on the album like ha- without it being a live recording and they the band really did like to do live recordings they performed very well live and i think that's very fair some bands it's like i don't give a shit you sound like crap live not motorhead um so i think they achieved that though this big fast you know, all-encompassing, monstrous sound. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and then also, 
um, Lemmy has talked about in interviews that he really loves the theme of this album because it's all about gambling metaphors. Yep. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> he loves, he was big into Westerns, American Westerns, and um, stories of the Old West, like Wild Bill Hickok, and he loved <laughs> all of those characters. Of course, you know, they were outlaws and gamblers. He, he absolutely loved that. And that is what the theme of the album is supposed to be. And if you look at the cover of the album it uh-huh. looks like they're probably like in an american desert and they're you know they're themselves like cowboy outlaws they're not i forget where they are they're somewhere in spain or something like that i almost um. expect phil to say like, i just we don't need no sticking yeah but, yeah. but in, in all honesty though probably their best cover ever at least like album cover yeah for sure yeah, yeah, definitely. And they're trying to do that whole like Western outlaw, thing, yeah. like one of them. What's this? Yeah, I mean, just take a take a gander at that again. Um, yeah. So they, so they kind of went from like good time rock and roll to monster rockers. I think in this album, and I think this, in my opinion, this gave them the confidence to go forward and you know, do what they would do after this album. But, uh, man, this, jeez, this album, it, it, no matter how many times I go back to it, I'm just like, damn, for me, it's got all the tracks. Um, Orgasmatron is another favorite of mine. <laughs> I, <laughs> I figure all of her time I hear that. <laughs> You're such a good little girl. <laughs> So this is their seventh studio album. If I'm counting, it's their sixth studio album. Um, I, I mean, this album is a little bit faster and maybe has a touch of thrashiness in agree. it. Would, would yeah. you agree, Matt? Despite the title, which yeah. I think is kind of weird um, for them. But. <laughs> well, uh, wait, R- really, is it? <laughs> Orgasmatron? Uh, the other album titles? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I mean, all right, Compared maybe. to, like, rock and yeah, roll, march or march die. Yeah, die, come on. <laughs> on parole, bastards. Yeah. Then you've got Orgasmatron. It sounds like, like a cheesy it. 80s album, well, anyway. but it's, it's not. It's far from it. <laughs> There's actually, okay, yes. you know the movie Sleepers, the Woody Allen film? There's an Orgasmatron in the film. That's where I so, heard that. Before. Okay, Ed, Google real quick. When did Sleepers the like... movie come out? Real okay. quick. Okay, so Orgasmatron was released in 1986. I will bet mm. you Sleepers came out before later. that. He's Sleepers oh, so came out wow. in 1973. Bam! Ha! And I believe they called it the Orgasmatron. Interesting. See if you can find that out. Yeah, the Orgasmatron. Yes! <laughs> You're welcome. That's mm-hmm. why I'm here. So anyway, moving <laughs> along from the Orgasmatron, one of my favorite um, Motorhead songs of all time, other than Ace of Spades, is Deaf Forever. I freaking and Built for Speed. I mean, okay, there's a lot of them. There's a lot, Dr. Rock, Riding with the Driver, but Deaf Forever, holy shit, it's such a phenomenal song, and Built for Speed. You've got killer songs on this album. Um... I, I absolutely love this album. And there's a... I have... Talking with other Motorhead fans, 
I think it's either you love it or you hate it. I don't think there's a lot of in-betweens with this album. Would you, uh, you I would agree that? with you. We're still talking about Orgasmatron, right? No, I love it. No, I do. I do. Yes. I do. <laughs> Interesting that um, in the video for I don't Orgasmatron, Lemmy's got the Alice Cooper style eye makeup and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's too. right. That's right. So, um, yeah. So, I I love this album because two of my favorite songs are on this album. Um, then I would say after that, 1916. I don't know how you can be a Motorhead fan and not love 1916. It's different. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it got a lot of commercial success, and I don't ever judge albums by commercial success, but I don't know. They're, I mean, Love Me Forever... I can't tell you how many um, mixtapes <laughs> I've put that song on. <laughs> mixtapes, yes. <laughs> there, I just think it's such a great, maybe it's because it kind of shows other sides of the band in this album, but I've always loved loved this album. Well, Matt, you being a big Motorhead fan, I what's tell your you, take on this album? I, you know, I made, I, I tried my damnedest to make a list of my top 10 favorite Motorhead songs, and... The one to sing the blues did make that list. Yeah, so I think that okay, it's one of my okay. favorite Motorhead songs. Um, but I have to hear the album again from beginning to end. But I mean, if I'm, I'm sure, you know, to, like I said before, they never changed. So every album is fantastic, in my opinion. I I feel like with this album, um. So it's it's a little bit of the time because you've got mm. some keyboards, heavy mm. keyboards, I would say in this. Um, but that was of that was of the time. Um, the The subject matter was very near and dear to Lemmy, and I think that definitely comes through. Um, you know, he he's talking about uh, World War One and how many Englishmen were killed, and and. Um, so I think that comes through in the emotion. I mean, maybe that's a thing is that this, I would say this is the most emotional album they've ever made. And I don't mean emotional because there's a ballad on there. I mean, you can hear that in all the tracks, in my opinion. Um, you know, like No Voices in the Sky and Shut You Down. Yeah, it's and very, it's Day, very deep. For example. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, it's. Was yeah. Emotional. Yeah. Very, 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 very deep. Um, but I, I think it was a good time for them to do that. They were in the right place to do it. And it got amazing, um, amazing critical, re- um, critic reception. So I, I, I'm a big fan of that album. And then after that, I would say probably Snake Bite Love, which is their 14th, but of Sailors Counting, their <laughs> 13th album. Um, they don't love it. And that's maybe why I love it is I feel like, okay. I would take Snakebite Love and make this their first album. I think if this was their first album, I think they would have loved it. To me, it's very raw. It's very... They felt like... Well, they didn't have a lot of time to record it. They didn't have a lot, a lot of time to write for it. And so they always feel like it was just thrown together. But um, I really... There's a lot of... I don't know. The... Um, I don't know what it is about this album, 
that I like so much about it is maybe it feels to me kind of like garagey for them or just really raw for them. I don't know. It's hard. It's a weird, it's a weird album. Most people don't like it. They didn't love it, but I, there's a place in my heart for this album. I like the of it though. I, I don't think, know why. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like about yeah. it too. I think it worked well for them. I think it worked really well for them. Um, you know, other than that, like my, uh, Probably well, it, Bomber. Bomber would be like another another top album for me. Well, I know you talked about it. The the what? How did you describe it? Like kind of um, unpolished run, or garagey? Yeah. yeah, because it's. Um, I guess they kind of ru- had to rush to finish this album. Yeah, and I know a bunch of them. You know, from what I'm seeing, aren't really happy with the way no, it turned no, out. And no, so none of them like the album. You know, probably why. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, they the the writing was rushed, the recording was rushed. Um, it was all rushed, but I I find beauty in that somehow. Uh, so I I there's a place in my heart for that album. But um, I I really also like Bomber. I think there's some, I mean, Dead Man Dead Men Tell No Tales, um, Sharpshooter, and the title track Bomber. Those are those are big songs for for Motorhead. I absolutely love those songs. And this is early on in their career, um, so I really really like I, I like this album. There were some lineup changes. Um, it was this album was really really um, well received by fans, and um, you know everyone feels like there's a lot of essential tracks on here, which I would totally agree with. Like I said, um, Dead Man, Tell No Tales, Stone Dead Forever is a big popular, um, but I think this is a great example for me of early Motorhead and you know what they're. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like what their true like original sound was, and if you take this album let's use that as an example and let's fast forward all the way to like i don't know like an album in the late 90s you you have the same sound you know you you you, it's still super cohesive they can still stand next to each other these songs can still be played together and i absolutely love that about this band not to belabor that point but well i mean they're um, a lot with with the minimal sound changes they're a lot easier to compare um you know and you can't mm-hmm. i guess for Certainly. a virgin ear to motorhead you know maybe if you play something from the late 90s and you played something you know from the 80s the early 80s or something together and you, you know sound quality aside or production quality aside you know it might be difficult for them to discern when it's produced you know because that's the continuity mm-hmm. of their sound really I think they're very cohesive. I think they are one of the few bands um, that can be very cohesive. I would say, and we've discussed this band, you know, in a former show, I would say ACDC mm-hmm. is very similar to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the, and they had a major vocal, vocal change and still, I think it, I think they stayed very mm-hmm. cohesive as well. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Another thing that they were really good at was, and it was, you know, during the time of singles, but they were very good at choosing singles. And a lot of that was the band, not the label. And mind you, some of the label, you know, some of the albums that released were on their own label um, or in their, with their management. So if you take a look at their singles released, you really see 
a band knowing themselves well, a band knowing their fans well. Um, you know, from Orgasmatron, you have Death Forever. I mean, mm-hmm. from Overkill, you have Damage Case. Um, so you have, uh, you know, from Bastards, Born to Raise Hell, obviously Ace of Spades title track, um, March or Die Hellraiser. You, they, they really knew their own sound and they really knew what their fans wanted to hear. And you have to admire that in a band to be that aware and that involved in, um, you know, that, that controlling function and, and that type of involvement is very smart on their part and often uh, very rare. Absolutely. And so there is a singles collection out there, by the way, um, where you can get all of their singles on one CD. I don't know how, I don't know if you can stream that. I'm assuming so, but that would be a really, that's a good way to introduce yourself to a band like this because their singles were so well chosen and not departures like often labels will do. They'll choose a very, a song that has a lot of departure from the band's sound and choose that as a single. And that's not the case with Motorhead. Well, I just want to run down quickly my um, list of favorite Motorhead songs. Uh, and this is in no particular order until the last song, as I saved my favorite for last. Um, so Overkill, uh, Damage Case, Ace of Spades, Louie Louie, which I think is freaking awesome. Yeah, um, I'll Be Your oh, Sister. Uh, Chase is Better Than The Catch, Iron Fist, uh, Deaf Forever. Uh, the one to sing the blues, and like I said, my favorite, favorite, favorite Motorhead song of all time is "King of Kings." Great song. That's a yes. damn good song, indeed. Yeah, that's a damn. Good I mean, song. I could go through the whole, yeah. you know, battling albums thing, but I'll, I'll, I'll be here forever talking about what album's my favorite. But I figured the songs were a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean. I I know what my favorite album would be, but I am going to save it just in case in yes. the future we decide to do an album battle. This, for me, it's there's really no contest, um, which doesn't happen often that I know instantly. But I did think about it as I was preparing for the show, as I was going back. And, and Motorhead is one of the bands that are on my, my daily rotation. I, I listen to them all the time. Um Seeing them live, by the way, you know, I know it's not always the same as watching a band live on your television or whatever, but um, I think it is with Motorhead. They were they were a band that was meant to be live, you know. So, again, if you listen to their live albums, you will not be disappointed. Like, I, I never... If I'm listening to music on Spotify and there's a live, there's a song from a live album coming up, I have no shame. I will fast forward <laughs> that shit before I even hear one note. Don't want to hear your crappy live shit. But Motorhead is oh, definitely yeah. an exception. They were and, incredible live. They sh- they were magic. And you ask any Motorhead fan, live. and you know maybe one of their top albums is the Hammersmith album, which I think is one of the best live albums of all mm-hmm. time, any genre. Any band. I will right there with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They were freaking incredible. And just to watch Lemmy as well, his him become Lemmy on stage and the way he approached 
everything that he did. I don't, you know, we, we were just talking about um, Queen, the movie, and uh, Freddie Mercury movie. I don't think there's anybody that could do Lemmy. I don't know. You'd have to be a hell of a method actor to, to do, to be, to encompass all of that, I think w- would be very, very difficult to do. So definitely check out if you haven't. Please listen to um, live tracks, and um, if you were not uh, lucky enough to see them live while Lemmy was still alive, definitely check it out online. It's it's worth the watch for sure. So that's all I got, guys. All right. All right. Well, this has been a it's been a fun discussion and a very uh, learning experience for me. That's for sure. Um. Lemmy, you'll be gone, but definitely not forgotten. Hell yeah. Let's pour one out for Lemmy. Cheers. Cheers, Lemmy. Cheers. Okay, so we just want to give huge thanks to all our listeners out there and ask you to tune in next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey podcast. But until then, before we get out of here, does anyone have anything they want to talk about that they've been listening to lately? Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, nothing big in particular, but I wanted to give a shout out to one of my buddies, uh, Tom, who's the lead guitarist in a band called Kissing Candace. And they just released, um, they went in the studio and did a, they released a, a track, a cover of Michael Jackson's Thriller. And yeah, you can, you can see it on really? YouTube or on Facebook. Oh, and, man. uh, it's pretty fucking rad. I gotta give him credit. Um, good stuff. So shout out to uh, yeah, shout out to Kissing Candace. Great job on that up. track. Okay, so lately, are you guys familiar with Billy Childish? Billy Childish, I don't think so. He's a British artist, and he's flipping amazing. Um, I got into him, I was introduced to him a long time ago, and kind of forgot about him in the, you know, plethora of music that we have at our fingertips these days, but um, he is a, he's he's a painter, an author, a poet, and uh, an amazing singer-songwriter and guitarist. Um, he plays uh, really amazing, I would say, like, super, like, blues rocky stuff mm-hmm. um he's incredible please check him out he rocks i have been digging on him so much lately that's what i've been listening to all right and as for myself um how many of you remember there's a bb series bbc series called red dwarf mm-hmm. back in the 80s sounds familiar actually that. Oh, so good it's basically really? like a an old British sci-fi comedy series. <sighs> it takes place on this like mining ship called the Red Dwarf, and I just recently subscribed to um, oh, what is it that the, oh the Brit Box as part of my Amazon mm-hmm. Prime mm-hmm. Video subscription, I need to to that. and they've got so many many good old british shows i've been going through but red dwarf um hilarious um hilarious show and um i'd recommend it to anyone if you have the means check it out 
Did you used to watch Are You Being Served back in the day? Yes, that's another (laughs) show that they got on there, too, that I've been watching. That I remember being a little girl. My mom was like, what the hell are you watching? And I didn't, of course, get any of the jokes. Oh, yeah. But until I got older... Oh my god! Constantly, when, when I, 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 but nonetheless, I watched the show religiously. I loved it, and then I remember being probably a teenager or in my early twenties, and it, you know, I was watching reruns of it. And I'm like, oh, I used to love this show, and all of a sudden, I was getting all the references. To <laughs> what's her face's pussy? Remember yes. what's her name? And oh, oh Mrs. Slocum. Mrs. Slocum's pussy in the, the Oh my god! Oh yeah, that was one of my absolute favorites. I loved. Are you being served? the best all right well i guess Matthew, i do you got anything to say i don't know how to follow mrs slocum's pussy but i'll try my best <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna post a picture of her on her facebook group <laughs> and her hair color changed too. yes that was <laughs> and it was always it was always the gay guy that would <laughs> jab at her mr humphreys yeah and I didn't, of course, as a little girl, I didn't yeah. get his gay jokes right. either. And the fact that the, I never remember names, like the stuck up dude, you know, remember? The, who was the stuck up guy that worked in oh, their department? Um, Captain Peacock. Yeah. And, the, and the gay guy would always make fun of Captain Peacock. And, like, I have to, I have to YouTube this. This sounds... <laughs> oh, oh you do. It is the best. If you like, haven't seen it. <laughs> I mean, at first you're going to be like, what the fuck am I watching? But just trust me, stick with it, and then you'll start getting all the innuendos. It's incredible, especially when, just when Mrs. Slocum goes on and on about drying her pussy and she can't put her pussy away. Like, and she always changed her hair color. <laughs> it's the best. Okay. Up to you, Matt. <laughs> so to all of our listeners out there, Our fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram, yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey. Save the E. Edward. They can always find me on Instagram as well. I am at Bourbon Geek. And they can find Jake on Instagram as well, at bourbon.spartan. Sailor? You can find me as Sailor Retro on the internets. And as Jake would usually say, this was a lot of fun, guys. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did, but now my glass is empty, and it's time to go. Be sure to tip your waitress. We're out. And then I would say, fuck you, Lars. Good night. Later, everyone. So good. We should just do a whole show on Are You Being Served? <laughs> you know what? Amazing Mrs. Slocum's band name. Pussy yes. would be an amazing band name. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. God. Yes. I wonder if any. I bet you someone's done it. Uh, hold on. I'm going to research it. S L O C U M, I would assume. No, it's S L O C O M B E. Because I just started Googling it and immediately Mrs. Slocum's hair came up. Yes.
<laughs> I told you. <laughs> uh, I don't uh, want to know what comes up if I Google Miss Slocum's pussy. Does oh the my God. match the drapes? Wait a minute. A tribute to Mrs. Slocum's pussy. <laughs> <sighs> Oh my god, oh, this is man. amazing. Wait a minute. Okay. It's, hold on, looking back at Mrs. Slocum's stories about her <laughs> pussy now. Hold on, shit, I lost it. Hold on, hold on, damn it. Oh my god. Tangent alert. <laughs> Tangent alert. <laughs> oh god, it's so good. They have the best, like, visuals to go with it. Um, if my pussy <laughs> isn't attended to by 8 o'clock, I shall be stroking it for the rest of the evening. This is the one I remember. My pussy got soaking wet. I had to dry it out in front of the fire before I left. The last sign of danger and my pussy's hair stands on end. At the littlest sign, sorry. At seven o'clock tonight, my pussy is expecting to see a friendly face. <laughs> I can't bear the sight of my pussy standing at the door with a tin opener in its mouth. <laughs> Well, if I'm not home on the stroke of six, my pussy goes mad. <laughs> well, the central heating broke down. I had to light the oven and hold my pussy in front. <laughs> that goes on forever and ever and ever. We could literally be here all night. <laughs> all right. So, Matt. Like I said, how do I you get us out of here? Oh, my God. I... I don't know. How do you follow Mrs. Slocum's pussy? <laughs> oh my god, there's... Wait a minute, hang on. Before we go forward, the actual Guardian. <laughs> has an article, Pussy Galore, a tribute to Mrs. Slocum. <laughs> With her immortal pussy, Mrs. Slocum turned the airways as blue as her rinse. <laughs> oh my god. This article is phenomenal. Oh, God. <laughs> I want to do a show called Mrs. Slocum's Pussy. It's going to happen. Stay tuned for that.